0: This episode of Rain is brought to you in partnership with Virgin Media, proud sponsors of the British Academy Television Awards. You may have already heard our episode with It's a Sin actor Callum scott Howes, who has been nominated for the Must See Moment Award at this year's Virgin Media BAFTA TV Awards for Colin's heartbreaking diagnosis scene. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the real life implications of a HIV positive status, both in the 80s when the show was set and today. But before we get going, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Terrence Higgins Trust and the incredible work that they do. The Terrence Higgins Trust is UK's leading HIV and sexual health charity, offering support, information and advice services for those living with HIV and those affected by HIV or who have poor sexual health. This year marks 40 years since the death of Terry Higgins, one of the first people in UK to die from AIDS related illness and the formation of the charity in his name. And for 40 years, their vision is for a world where people with HIV live healthy lives, free from prejudice and discrimination, and good sexual health is a right and reality for all. And while It's a Sin centres on a group of gay men in London, Terence Higgins Trust continues to work with a whole host of different people, as HIV can and does affect anyone of any age, sexuality, ethnicity, or gender. Despite this, 77% of UK adults have never had a HIV test. Routine testing needs to be increased to find people living with undiagnosed HIV in the UK. For more information on testing, for support, or for more information, visit (laughs) tht.org.uk Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations, and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. In today's very special episode, we celebrate the incredible impact that the TV show It's a Sin has had. In case you haven't watched It's a Sin yet, where have you been, babe? The show explores the lives and loves of a group of queer youngsters beginning a new life in 1980s London, but they soon find themselves struck by the HIV pandemic and ignored by most of the world at the time. Created by the iconic Russell T Davies, the show is now nominated for an incredible 11 awards at the Virgin Media British Academy Television Awards, including a nomination for Colin's Diagnosis Scene, played powerfully by Callum Scott Howells for the Virgin Media Must See Moment Award. Today we're joined by two people who have close relationships with the show. Firstly, Jill Nalder, who's not only the inspiration for Jill Baxter, the character played amazingly well by Lydia West in the show, but also plays her on-screen mother. Jill, like her namesake character she inspired had a number of close friends in the 1980s who were affected by the HIV pandemic. And as a loyal ally, she support them by taking them for tests and visiting them in the hospital. We are also joined by Eugene Lynch, who was diagnosed with HIV in 2013 and is now a Senior Positive Voices Coordinator at the Terence Higgins Trust, UK's leading HIV and sexual health charity. In today's episode, we'll be talking about their stories, reflecting on the impact of It's a Sim, and must-see moments like Colin's AIDS diagnosis, the reality of living with HIV today, and so much more. Well, hello you two. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you.
0: Yeah, great, thanks. Oh my God, I'm so excited to talk to both of you about the really pressing issues that were raised in It's a Sin and the amazing work that has been done since the time when It's a Sin is based. And I think it's a really important way to start off, I think, by building a picture of what it's actually like living with HIV in today's society and the the medical reality of that as well, because we've been saying there have been some amazing amazing changes and developments since the 80s so Eugene for you what is the reality of living with HIV?
2: For me it's it's relatively straightforward obviously I I work in um, an HIV charity so you know there's a lot going on in my life in terms of HIV but in terms of what I do to manage my HIV I take one pill every morning with my breakfast Um, and that's more or less it you know I have a I have an appointment with my HIV consultant every few months where I get my blood tested. Um, And beyond that, that's, that's pretty much the impact that it has on my day to day
0: life, other than the work I do. Mm. Do you feel like there's still within that? Is there a lot of misunderstanding still of what living with HIV is like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, people think it's still life limiting. So
2: you know, a lot of people are sort of aware that there's treatment available, and that you know, people aren't in the UK, at least, dying of AIDS on a regular basis. Um, You know, Mm. it's not a big kind of headline thing like it used to be. Um, But people don't know that, you know, the treatment is is so fantastic that somebody who's diagnosed with HIV today uh, will live a long and healthy life. They'll have a normal life expectancy as long as uh, they're diagnosed, you know, early enough. Um, And, uh, you know, your immune system recovers. It doesn't mean to say that there aren't problems associated with living with HIV. So, you know, there can be side effects from the medication, for example, and also the stigma associated with HIV and the fear Mm. around it means that a lot of us have a lot of issues in our lives in terms of mental health or discrimination in some cases. Um, You know, it's not all roses, but physically,
0: um, you know, most people are perfectly fine. Mm. And I mean, for you, Jill, this show, It's a Sin, you've got such a strong relationship with the story and what's told in it. And not only has your story inspired, the character of Jill, which is played by Lydia West, who we all love so much. It's
1: oh, amazing. You also,
0: amazing. oh my God, she's the best. When she came on the podcast, I was like, you are just such an incredible person. And the way she brings that story to life is so amazing. But it is your story. That is your story that is reflected on screen and you had a number of your close friends were affected by the illness in the 80s and you took them for tests and you visit them in hospital for you how heartbreaking was it to step back into that world and see it reflected on screen in that way
1: it was emotional it absolutely was emotional but it was also very it was very inspiring actually hearing people talk about it and the effect that it had because that's mm. that was not something that we expected in any in any way. So Russell himself, you know, we were talking about it, and when he was talking about doing it, and he couldn't get television channels to be interested in it in the first place. So there was a lot of, you know, I think not nervous about it because what Russell does, what he does, you know, he writes brilliantly. Mm. He he has his own ideas, so he's he's brave anyway. But he didn't expect to have the outpouring of love and interest and the positivity that everybody's had about, about It's a Sin, the cast and everybody concerned with the production of it. So so from that side, it was very inspiring. It's been hard, like going back over things with people. It It is always, but, but in a way, that's also got a loveliness to it because I'm remembering the boys that were mm. such a big part of my life. And, and I, can get emo- I can get emotional about it, but also, I, I am pleased that people are talking about them in a, in a, in a sort of strange way. It's, it's giving them a lot of love now when they mm. didn't have it in every way when they needed it.
0: Yeah, that's such a powerful, positive way of looking at it because it's so heartbreaking to watch it as a viewer. And I think especially being someone who's in the queer community itself, it's very heartbreaking to see the sort of discrimination and the stigma that really, really, really affected the way that people approached the HIV epidemic in the 80s specifically. What, thinking about now, what still really shocks you and almost like re surprises you about the way it was treated and viewed at the time and the way that individuals were treated?
1: Well it does It does really surprise me to, to realise how bad it actually was because it's something that mm. you live with along the way and you're watching other people live with and you know that you're being discriminated against, not me personally because I didn't suffer from that discrimination like the boys did. But I think what surprises me is that it really was bad and you, you just got used to living with it. You got used to gay men keeping secrets. There was already often secrecy about being gay in the first place. So HIV and AIDS was just another step in the secrecy ladder. So it it, it re shocks you. you. Think, oh my God! Actually, it was really quite. People were quite horrible, and mm. and you, you, I don't know the the fact that you got used to being secretive. That that really surprises you because obviously people mm. don't have to be or don't feel the need to be so secretive as as we did then and they mm. did and i did as well and you know we we were keeping secrets i was keeping their secret and and it's a hard job you know it's it's, um, it's stressful pretending all the time that something mm. is okay when it isn't cuz
0: i think jill as a character and you as a real life person who symbolizes this so amazingly is you symbolize how powerful allyship can be in those moments when you were taking your friends to hospital and you were Holding their hands and supporting them through those moments. What did those moments really teach you about the power of allyship?
1: Well, it teaches you that you you become very strong community in those that are allies, and there were and I was by far from the only person. You know, there there were plenty of people within the hospitals and you know amongst the gay community themselves, it, people that weren't sick. So you've got a the um, lesbian community which perhaps stood less chance of catching HIV were extremely supportive In the the boys felt the most vulnerable but so I think it teaches you that the power of solidarity that's what I would Mm. say is is that and and that you can get a lot of you can get a lot of joy out of that because you know there it wasn't all bad times there were good times when people Mm. were doing things and you felt like you could be very constructive and we used to do a lot of charity fundraising and you felt very proactive about things like that. So it it, it teaches you the, the power of more than one person, mm. I think.
0: And for you, Eugene, when you think back to when you first found out about your status, how important was allyship to you? And how important do you think allyship today is in eradicating the stigma around living with a HIV positive status? <laughs>
2: I mean, allyship is massive, um, and I don't think anyone embodies it as well as as well as Jill does, or mm. describes it no. right, in quite the way that Jill does. That, that's amazing. Um, for me, um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, um, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really want allyship. I didn't want to talk about it. I, you know, I was uh, I was initially in shock but then I was kind of living in shame and fear mm. um, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it so you know when I was first diagnosed I think I was offered um, some support around mental health and possibly some peer support and I just rejected it straight away I said no I'm gonna I'm just gonna go away and take my pills and forget about this and and deal with it in my own way and spoiler alert that did not go well for me um, <laughs> uh, you know I spent five years getting increasingly anxious and depressed and you know I felt really isolated and um, and, you know, then eventually I, I, re- I reached out for help and I got help from the Terence Higgins Trust and other organizations around my mental health and, and the isolation I was feeling and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I've really seen in the last couple of years the the impact that that allyship can have. And, the, and mm. you know, there are people in the community living with HIV and not who are, you know, uh, really loud voices for for change and for the you know the things that we need um you know even just last year we had uh, um the ministry of defense dropping the ban on entry for people living with hiv you know that was something that uh -hmm. you know a group of allies got together and, and 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 fought for that change um and you know things are still happening now that you know um that mean we need allies as much as as much as we ever did i suppose
1: it's amazing that you say that yeah it's the the truth isn't it
0: oh it's so it's so true and it's so impactful as well because if you could go back to the time when you found out you had a hiv positive status where were you and how did you find out and if you could go back to that moment and kind of hold that younger you's hand and say it's going to be okay what would you want to say to that you in that moment
2: it's, it's a really great question. I mean, where I was in my life, I, um, I've i been living in London for nine years. Um, I've been in a monogamous relationship with my partner, Tim, for six years. I had a negative mm-hmm. HIV test three years before. Um, I wasn't expecting to be diagnosed. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to my GP when I got ill, and she said, we should do an HIV test. And we did. And it came back positive. And you know, my life kind of turned upside down in that moment um, and I wasn't able to explain where it came from. Uh, my, my partner tested negative, fortunately. Um, and, you know, I had a huge amount of fear, particularly around what people might think um, because I was diagnosed with HIV or what they thought my lifestyle might be like and I didn't want to talk to anyone in work about it. And I was living mm. in that kind of fear and shame and secrecy um, and I didn't really have a good explanation for where it came from. and. Um, so you know, I was dealing with all of that stuff. Um, if I could go back and 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 kind of give myself some advice, and I've sort of been in that position recently. I've been volunteering on the Terrence Higgins Trust helpline for about three years, and occasionally we get calls from people who are newly diagnosed, and those are, uh, you know, those are are usually really powerful and where you can really make a difference in someone's life. And I had this conversation with a young guy, 19 years old, who'd been diagnosed the previous day, um, and I gave him that advice that I wish. I'd given myself at the time which was Mm. you know you've done you've done the first thing which is reach out and ask for help because that's what I should have done I should have accepted the help that was offered to me it would have made a huge difference in my life Um, that that's probably the big piece of advice I would go back and give myself just you know um, don't try to deal with this on your own because you won't Mm. be able to Um, and there are lots of people you know and also you deserve the help because that's something that I didn't believe at the time I I kind of believed that I you know, that I contracted HIV because I was a bad person and I deserved it. And, you know, I told myself lots of horrible things in in that period where I was trying to deal with it by myself. And none of that was true. And if I could kind of have that conversation with myself, that's what I would say. You know, the, mm. this is, um, uh, you know, you deserve help and there is lots of help available and all you have to do is ask.
0: Mm. When do you think for you the the shame around having the status started to alleviate for you. Um, so my, my journey
2: is, I mean, I'm not going to go into loads of detail, but it's, it's quite complex. So, you know, over the course of five years after my diagnosis, my mental health deteriorated. I started using some really bad coping mechanisms. I was drinking a lot. I was taking drugs. Um, my work started to suffer. My relationship started to fall apart. And um, and I, um, I, I suppose I didn't really get that kind of full awakening until I started dealing with all of the underlying problems that I had. So um, I was very fortunate in many ways in that I eventually managed to get into uh, a rehab for uh, drug and alcohol addiction. Um, And it was there that I kind of confronted all of those, uh, you know, those those demons that I had. Uh, And I started to get honest and I, you know, I told people what was really going on for me. I Mm -hmm. sat in front of a room of strangers and said, I've got HIV for the first time. And I said, you know, I'm a drug addict and Uh, you know I can't deal with this stuff on my own and um, that was a you know that was a big turning point that was a huge relief and I you know I sat in that room and I I kind of I told all my secrets I said that I knew where my HIV came from and I I said that you know about a year and a half before my diagnosis I was raped and that's actually what happened to me and I hadn't told anyone for you know not my partner not my close friends I told nobody for six years Um, and that was that was a huge turning point in my life because I was able to kind of get some help and support. I realized that I'd been looking at things just the wrong way that entire time. Mm. I blamed myself entirely for everything that happened um, in, in those six years. And when I told people my story and I told people what happened, um, I expected them to react, you know, with hatred. I expected them to hate me as much as I hated myself. That was what I really believed in that moment. And they responded with compassion and kindness and love and identification. And they told me things
0: about themselves. And um, and that
2: was when I realized that, you know, I I'd, I'd been looking at
0: this the wrong way. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I think that's, it's so powerful to hear that. And I think the reality of it just for anyone who's listening to this who might have just found out their status or someone who found their status out even a few years ago and still carrying around that kind of shame and stigma. It's so amazing to hear you be so open and honest about it. And I think one of the things which is so incredible about It's a Sin is it and these must-see moments such as Colin's AIDS diagnosis scene, those moments are so powerful and they really can start incredible conversations and ignite so much change because I know that at the Terence Higgins Trust, there was more than seventeen thousand tests ordered during the week after the show first aired. I mean, the show reached eighteen point nine million views on orange in just a few in the first few weeks alone, and then HIV policy was discussed again at government level. It's so incredible to see that change, and I think that we've mentioned already that there's been so much change in the way that people approach HIV since the 1980s, but even since the show's release, there has been so much change around the way that people talk about and consider it. For you, Jill, seeing what the conversations were like in the 80s, even to now, and then even from when the show came out to now, What kind of progress have you really seen and what kind of stigma have you really seen alleviate?
1: Well, just like Eugene was saying, I think people are taking control and I think people are feeling, you know, a lot of people, and and even though I do know people who, who are absolutely fine talking about their HIV diagnosis amongst their friends. But Mm. just generally, you know, about close people, they're okay about talking about it. But in work, sometimes they have stigma. But what I have seen is empowerment. I think that's the right word for what I just noticed with Eugene there and how empowered his honesty has made him feel. And I think people, once they do come out as being positive, and they feel good about themselves, you know, And like a lot of people have carried guilt of how their parents might feel or how their mm. partner might feel. Or even, you know, you upset your friends, you upset people because any medical diagnosis like that, that carries stress and, and pain, you know, you're upset for the people around you as well. So it's nice to feel for everybody that that person is empowered, can get on with their lives, can live a full and healthy life. So I, I have noticed that. Most, since it's a sin, because of course you have HIV on the back burner, really amongst those that you know are HIV positive, but you're not talking about it all the time. as there have been more conversations about it in the last year than in the previous sort of twenty, probably, in in such depth and how about how people feel about themselves? So, so I've really noticed that, and I've really noticed people able to relax and you know take their treatment and feel obviously that they're going to have a chance to have a good future. Which, of course, the boys, mm. when when in the 80s and the 90s, people knew that they didn't have a future. So, so you were carrying that weight, even though people did live. And I had one friend that lived four and a half years with full-blown AIDS. He was a full-blown AIDS diagnosis, and he still fought on and still tried his treatments and tried to do everything he could to stay healthy. But you knew at the end of it that this was not going to be you know a good a good ending it was going to it was not it was going to not have a normal life so a nor in a normal life Mm. i mean a normal life span so so notice Mm. that people are carrying the fact that they have a future and that's a a normal feeling really so it's that's that's things Mm. that that i think have changed hugely
0: for you eugene what have you seen really change because in your role as a terence higgins trust senior positive voices coordinator you must hear so many stories of seeing people empower themselves in spite of their status but also there's still so much discrimination as well like we've been saying too so how what kind of frustrates you as well about the lack of progress we're still making with the way we discuss this
2: i think um you know my my Job has transformed completely since it's a sin. So I came into this role about a month before it's a sin came out, um, mm-hmm. and we started kind of putting together what our plans were going to be. So positive voices is is a program. We go into schools and workplaces. We talk about um, the realities of HIV. We talk about the statistics, but then we also share a personal story of living with HIV. And um, I've been volunteering for a while in this, and then I got this role as a staff member, kind of coordinating it, and. Um, we we put together a plan for what we wanted to do next and one of the things that our speakers we've got at the moment 38 speakers uh, almost all volunteers who are living with HIV and share their stories and we got together and we said well where do you most experience stigma in your life and where does it have the biggest impact and one thing that came through really clearly at that point was um, interactions with the health system and health and care more generally um, where somebody might have a stigmatizing experience with someone who frankly should know better. Um, and so there were, there were lots of examples from our own speakers' lives where uh, you know they'd gone to see the dentist or they'd gone for surgery or it was something not to do with their HIV treatment, mm. but they were dealing with the, the health service or they were dealing with social care um, and they had a stigmatizing experience or they were treated uh, you know, badly uh, because they disclosed their HIV status. And so we said, right, there's something that we need to do here. We need to get in and speak to these health and care professionals. Um, you know, nobody's doing this deliberately. Um, it's because they don't have the right information. So mm. let's get the information to them. And um, so we came up with a plan, and we sort of thought, how are we going to pilot this? Um, what are we going to do? And It's a Sin came out, and we saw the the uh, you know the the images of, of people being locked up in hospital and unnecessary you know cleaning um, and and unnecessary PPE and stuff like that, and. Um, a couple of organizations, so one of the uh, local authorities in London, their social care team came to us and said, we're going to get our staff on the front line to watch It's a Sin and then come to one of your talks. Um, can you do that for us? And we were like, okay, we've already got our pilot. We didn't have to go and, and, and look for it. Um, it's, it's a Sin amazing. brought it to us, basically. Um, that was that was amazing. And then a few a few weeks later, we we did a talk for a psychiatric hospital that had a patient living with HIV, who they were isolating, giving him his own cutlery, you know, treating him differently to, to other patients in 2021. Um, and so we went and we kind of gave them the up-to-date information. We talked about how care for people with HIV works, why it's a little bit different to other conditions. Um, you know, they learned a lot from the session. We talked about how stigma impacts your life and how experiencing that stigma can be for a person and particularly if you're Mm -hmm. someone who um you know maybe isn't able to advocate for yourself like if you're an older person in care or if you're someone in a psychiatric hospital who um, maybe you don't know what's going on all the time or um you you know you, you don't understand what's happening and you have that in in Colin's story as well you know he's got um Uh, his kind of brain condition means that he doesn't always know what's going on and so um, that could be very scary imagining yourself in that position and kind of saying you you know somebody needs to know what to do in that situation so that you're not unfairly treated and so we were Mm -hmm. able to do that and we wouldn't have been able to do that without it's a sin or we would have found it more difficult to find organizations to to kind of uh, speak to about this stuff and to to develop this content Um, and -hmm. it sort of came to us and it all happened at the right time
1: it's amazing because I know I've said that a few times now, but it's, that's an incredible legacy for us and the whole team of people, and that's I think what what people are so proud of or so delighted has happened, because it's made it something that was set out to be a drama and yes to tell a history and yes to move people, but also it's become quite a a powerful legacy in, in for for change, which is just fantastic actually.
0: Mm. And that really does show how powerful TV can be, and how particularly I always think about the moment that has been nominated for the Virgin Media Must see Moment Award, which is Colin lying in hospital with his mum and Jill and Ash by his side. And when he asks if the doctors can cure him, and you see his well being deteriorate very quickly, and it's very, very, very hard to watch. Um, but it was such an amazing talking point that got everyone talking like it had such a visceral response from people like a lot like I was even talking to one of my friends the other day and she was just saying I think about that moment probably every other day like it always it still really affects me and it's such a moment of real lived history that's actually happened to so many people that you've you saw with your own eyes as well Jill like how hard was it to watch that scene back particularly for you?
1: That scene was particularly horrible because well, horrible and amazingly, you know, wonderfully put together. But it was so sad because obviously his naivety and and it was because nobody expected that because it showed Mm. you so much. Everybody that gets HIV positive is an innocent person. No one has done anything bad to get it. You just get it because it's a virus and you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and people didn't expect Colin to be that person that got it. So it hit home. I think that's the reason it hit home to everyone. It's hard to watch because you just. I know that one of my friends was just, you know, didn't know how. Like you said, Eugene, he was. Well, you do, you did know, but you you were saying, but he he really didn't know. He wasn't quite sure. He just had, you know, had a few sexual relationships, but it just. Innocent, he wasn't particularly promiscuous. It's just the way it is. It can be your first time, it can be your twenty-first time, you could be into all kinds of things, you could be as vanilla as you like and not into anything particular. Mm. But it might be your the virus is there, you know. It's like it's like the person who scratches themselves in the garden and gets sepsis. It's it's the same, it's just the unlucky people. And I think Colin brought the compassion out, that that moment brought the compassion out in people. And it was Mm. hard to watch because it's so deeply sad and true. You know, that's why.
0: Mm. Eugene, was it hard for you to watch it knowing that... I think it's quite hard. I've had a couple of discussions with people who live with a HIV positive status after watching It's a Sin. And I think they found it really empowering, but also quite difficult to watch at points too. Because Mm. if there hadn't been these medical changes, say, in the time that we've lived through, that could have easily been one of us or someone we know and I think it's a very difficult thing to watch so for you how hard was it to watch that scene in particular
2: yeah it was it, it was incredibly difficult to watch um I I sat with my partner uh, we're still together by the way um we've been together 15 years now and he's kind of supported me through the whole thing but we were sitting next to each other watching it and I'm the kind of person who you know it doesn't take much to, to get me tearful when I'm watching tv mm. um but this in particular like he was crying I was inconsolable um, it, it's such a powerful moment and you know Jill said it as well the, the character is um, because he's so innocent and you know lovely and, and you kind of see you his know, whole story yeah, yeah absolutely and that's you know that's like Russell T Davis as a writer he's great at kind of uh, at doing that as you know he, he kind of draws you into the character and you know as soon as the first couple of episodes went out I was like if anything bad happens to Colin I'm going to be so upset <laughs> <laughs> um, we and, all um, said that at the time we you, like and, and no you, and you sort of know it's coming as well, and it's sort of like oh, um, and it, yeah, it is heart wrenching. And watching the scene, you know, it it, um, I I didn't watch it again from the first time I watched it until um, the BAFTA nominations came out, and it, I watched it, you know, earlier today when we were uh, you know preparing for this, and I was crying in the middle of the Aww. office, um, like it it's still like it still affects me it's still really really powerful and I was thinking like what is it that you know that really you know why is it so powerful and evocative and for me there's all sorts of things for one it's like it tells the story of those people who aren't around anymore and their story is really really important um, and you know there are people who were diagnosed in the 1980s and survived to today and they've got that kind of testimony and they can tell their story and there are people who, who died at the time whose stories we have to remember and that's you know that's really really important but for me as well As someone who was diagnosed in 2013 um, and who, you know, for a long time was telling myself I should have known better and we know so much about Mm. stuff these days, there is that sort of like survivor guilt that you have. um, And that was something that I felt quite a lot when I was watching, you know, uh, It's a Sin and, and the things that happened at the time. It's sort of that that feeling that you know these people didn't didn't know anything about this virus um and you know they they got it and and, and they died and you know uh you know i you know, i should have known better um is kind of what sometimes i tell myself and, and and you know jill is right um hiv doesn't care who you are or what you do it's just a virus that wants to go from person to person it's not there to make judgments about you it's not there to punish mm-hmm. you it, it's just a virus and um and you know there's lots of parallels with covid as well because that was obviously the the, the timing of that was really coincidental. And um I remember when I when I first got together with some friends, you know, between lockdowns um after COVID, I was like really um O C D about everything. I was like making sure that we socially distanced from other groups and I was getting really kind of head up about stuff. And one of my friends kind of called me out on it. He was like, Why are you so upset about um why are you so upset about this? Why are you so kind of like militant about about all of this? And I kind of I had had to kind of think to myself and I went, you know what it is? It's like I spent five, six years beating myself up for getting HIV when I knew how it was transmitted. I don't want to spend ages beating myself up for getting COVID because I know how it's transmitted. And Mm -hmm. once I realized that, it actually made it really easy. It made it a lot easier. And I relaxed and I was just able to kind of like, and eventually I did get COVID, but you know, it doesn't matter. Um, And, and you know, these viruses are just things that want to go from person to person. They're not like moral judgments about your character or you know
1: and I think with the COVID thing as well you you just know you know you don't want like you say you don't want to make a mistake you don't want to catch it if you don't have to and so you you're already aware perhaps more than some people in in the world people that have all sorts of immunosuppression for all sorts of different reasons but you are already aware of what it's uh, the enormity of getting these illnesses and things like that that you know change your life or cuz you can get covid and it can change your life you don't need to mm. you don't need to be you might not be one of the people that recovers so so well so you know i think we are we and me as well i'm i'm aware of what it's like to go through all that so you think oh, i don't want to catch this if i don't have to you know so mm. i think that's a parallel and, and Goodness, we thought maybe that It's a Sin was the wrong time because of COVID, but I think it, it, in, in hindsight it was the right time because people had a, the pandemic thing in their minds and I think they already were a little bit sympathetic.
0: Mm.
2: And, it, and it came at the right time as well for us as an organization because. Mm. Um, you uh, with with it's a sin. We had a huge uptick in in both demand for our services, but also people wanted to fundraise for us, and um, you know people selling items and 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 donating the proceeds to us and stuff like that. So. It, that all happened kind of at the right time because we had a uh, we had people who were living with HIV who had you know financial hardships through COVID who were able to support because we got all this additional support from people. Um, it it all kind of happened. Um, you know nobody wants a pandemic to happen, but um, oh. all of this for us happened. You know kind of at the Incredible. right time together. And the
1: la T-shirt which did so well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's so amazing. I, wonder, I mean, the LAR who would have ever thought that
1: would have done so well? I mean, really, it was just a little thing that we used to have a laugh with, and so all of a sudden. All kinds of people are going, oh, amazing.
0: Uh, One thing that was a positive thing about the lockdowns that we all went through is that you couldn't avoid things that were in front of you anymore. And I think that that you didn't have the distractions to avoid thinking about things, especially like when you watch something like It's a Sin. You are very much faced with a reality that is still true for so many. And I think one of the things that's so important to remember about HIV is that it can affect anyone like we've been saying as well it's no matter what your gender is what age you are your sexuality your ethnicity it can affect you and I think the important thing is for anyone who's listening to this who might not know what their status is is you know 77% of UK adults don't actually know their status or have never had a HIV test and routine testing can really really help in so many ways stop the spread of the virus but also empower you in your status as well. And I think that there's still so much room and so much further to go in the way that we talk about and treat HIV. So for both of you, what would you say is your hope for the future?
1: Well, obviously, to eradicate it, that would be an amazing, an amazing achievement, which is probably, you know, I know that's a Terence Higgins Trust kind of a, a mantra as well so that would be brilliant and i think to get everybody testing i mean look at the situation for women for instance that you know don't mm. go t- to get tested so often and sometimes you know find out when they they're pregnant and they're finding out at that time because they're having to go back and forth to hospital and then it's a, an extra a thing that's discovered so i think it may be a good thing to Uh, get young women all women actually involved in Mm. getting tested a bit more often than they do and and everybody in general you know making it part of normal life to look after your that sexual health side of your life as well those would be my hopes I think Mm.
0: and also there has been such an increase in diagnosis amongst women right like in recent times there's a huge percentage rise and I think there's Stalled this stigma that this is a gay disease, exactly. and that just needs exactly. to stop because there's so many people out there without knowing living with this, and if you just had the knowledge, it just would really help, right?
1: Or it's also a disease people think of, you know, drug users or sex workers mm. or you know people that are behaving badly, and so like Eugene said in the, in early on, you know, you don't want to feel like you've done something wrong. I mean, you know, you mm. or people are made to feel like they deserve to catch it because of what they've done. So that great hopes that that stops as well. Sorry, Eugene. Mm. I've said so many hopes.
2: That's OK. Um, I, I've got all the same hopes. Um, and I think the point the point about women is really important as well, because, you know, it always when we do presentations about who is living with HIV, it always surprises people. The number of women who are living with HIV uh, globally, 53% of people living with HIV are women. There are more women than men living with HIV. In the UK, it is uh, it's about a third, so about a third of people living with HIV are women. Um, mm. Two thirds of them are black women, um, and you know the the. Last The last year that we have statistics for, 2020, um, there were more heterosexuals diagnosed than uh, gay and bi men for the first time in 10 years. Um, the number of, of gay and bisexual men and other men who have sex with men who are testing positive it has been going down year on year since like 2014. Largely thanks to PrEP, um, but also thanks to uh, people testing more regularly, um, and they're more likely to get an early diagnosis, whereas heterosexuals and older people um, are much more likely to get a late diagnosis, and uh, a lot of, it's the same for a lot of women as well. Um, and you know what we want is is to diagnose people as early as possible, uh, get them onto treatment, make sure they're well. but then also when you're on treatment, you can't pass the virus on, and that's how we, that's how we're going to eliminate it. Um, and the, the goal is to end transmission of HIV from person to person by 2030 in the UK. Um, it's, it's a bit of a moonshot, it's a very ambitious goal, uh, but it is achievable and
0: we have all the tools we need to, to do that. I think what's so amazing about what we talked about today, and particularly in relation to it's a sin, is that out of a lot of tragedy and a lot of lost lives and a lot of prejudice and discrimination, there is still hope. And there is so much hope for the future, in particular with this disease, and there's so much progress we can still make. And the way we're going to do that is by having open and honest conversations like the ones we've been having today. So thank you so much for joining me to talk about it. So openly and honestly and share your experiences and We always end on one final question. I really want to get your perspective on this, given what we talked about today as well. And the question always is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you will always live by? So for both of you,
1: what is that? My rule is to, if you've got something to do, you should get on and do it because life is short for everybody. So make the Mm. most of every day. That's what I try to live by.
0: Mm. And what about for you, Eugene?
2: I, I think it's it's changed a lot since I've got into recovery from drugs and alcohol so like I'm sober now and I, I you know I work a program and all that kind of stuff so I'm um I'm looking at life in, in a different way I think it's probably going to be quite similar to Jill.
1: I think because when you have been involved with people that have had their lives shortened then it you want to make the most of, of every, every day because you know that you're you're living and and they aren't mm. and you know and, and so it's Time is a precious thing. It really is a precious thing. And, and, and as you get older, it becomes more and more precious. So so that's why I think it's seize the day kind of mentality I've tried to live mm. by.
2: I think I would say, look after your mental health
0: and ask for help because you deserve it. That, w- that would be my rule. That's lovely. They're both such powerful rules. And I've honestly, it's been so amazing talking to both of you. And I think, these shows and these unmissable moments on tv can really create conversations and it's been so amazing that this show has even enabled us to have this open and honest conversation so thank you so much for joining me my pleasure thank you
1: thank you
0: Thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode, and if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcast from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going, and I'll see you next time.